Mr. Evan Smith, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. Yeah? Yeah, it's been a good day. Good. A little bit of a long day, but it's not bad. Sanford, Florida. Yes. So explain like explain life in Sanford, Florida. Coming up in what? Early two thousands? Well, I mean I'm a little older than that. I was I was coming of age in the, the mid to late nineties in Sanford. Uh, trivia to begin with though, Sanford was at one time the celery capital of the world, outpacing in production Paris, France. Now this is the early like 1900s. That's mm. what it was known for. For celery. Celery. So uh, Sanford Seminole High School is now the the Sanford Seminole Knolls, um, not to be confused with FSU, but the Knolls. Back then, up until about the 60s or so, they were the celery feds. That's not true. Thousand percent true. Look it up, um, because. Sanford was was established and and began to thrive and has since grown into what amazingness it is today because it's on the St. John's River. And so the St. John's River was a way by which a lot of different goods were transported through the state. I mean, you start up in in Jacksonville, you can make your way all the way to the center of the state, which is effectively um, Sanford. And so, yeah, it was it was, I guess, really fertile ground for celery. In other agriculture, let's not sell it, sell it too far short. Yeah. But yeah, the celery capital of the world for a time, not anymore. That's crazy. Yeah, so that's yeah, that's that's where I grew up. Um, born in in the in the eighties um, in Sanford uh, at the Sanford Hospital on the lake. My parents, both mom and dad, their families had moved to Sanford. Um, kind of by way of the the military, or at least after a military career for both my grandfathers um, in the 60s, early 70s. Mm. Um, and so, you know, born and raised in the state of Florida, um, the city of Sanford. I mean, the state of Florida, not many people, I guess, say that too often, but uh, I'm, a, I'm a native. Um, and yeah, Sanford was back then more just a, a pretty small town. A lot of history, mm-hmm. um, but a pretty small town um, that, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't too remarkable. Yeah, um, we were always kind of just the 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 little town twenty five minutes away from Orlando. Yeah, um, I mean, looking back now, I, I see a lot more significance that I think when you're that age, you kind of miss. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it was it was a pretty it was a pretty um, regular. Um, pretty blessed upbringing, you know, a good household um, in the, the suburbs. Um, I'm, I'm using air quotes right now in the suburbs of Sanford. Um, and yeah, we were, we were in Sanford until just after fifth grade and then um, moved over to Brooksville. Um, but my whole family, at least my both sets of grandparents um, were in, in, Sanford, mm-hmm. and so me and my brother, because I have an older brother, Nick, um, who's two and a half years older than me, um, grew up within like a mile of both sets of grandparents, which was pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, it was it was a really it was a really good upbringing. I'm super blessed from from where I came from. <clears throat> Do you go back often to Sanford? No, no. No, I mean I've still I've still got some some good friends. One one in particular who's a very close friend, and as much as 
as I can, as we can. I say we kind of the 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 crew of friends that are on this side of town now. Yeah. We try and go down. Sanford has now since become like a really cool place to go oh, out dude. to dinner. It's and beautiful. The downtown Sanford area is mm-hmm. amazing. Some yeah. of the restaurants out there and just the little, cool little shops. Like it's a it's a cool place to be. Like on the water too. You know what I mean? So it was it was so the difference is and it's kind of obvious I guess um, the the downtown right and mm-hmm. so what you're describing is downtown Sanford yeah when I was growing up downtown Sanford was not developed to any significance as mm-hmm. it is today mm-hmm. um, so there was no real going down to Sanford to go out to dinner we didn't go to downtown Sanford um, I mean yeah there's the lake and you did some things down there um, but for the most part downtown Sanford was just really really underdeveloped. Um, but you know, it, it's, it's grown into this really, really cool place. Another fun fact, if I'm able to offer it, you are. um, if you tonight or whenever, um, watch my girl, which was a classic movie from, from my childhood, a lot of my girl was, um, filmed in downtown Sanford. Interesting. Yeah. So can I say that's Macaulay Culkin's best film? Maybe not, but it's... <laughs> It's up there. And I'm sure he's going to hear you say that because of the, the publicity this podcast is going to receive. It's already. <laughs> Twitter's blowing up. Yep. And, it's, and we're not even on the internet yet. No. No. Dude, let's talk about um, what you do uh-huh. and why you do what you do sure. career-wise and yeah. how you got into it. I mean, it's it's a good because that's why you're that's why we're having this conversation. Okay, that's good. I'm just figuring this out. (laughs) I just told him. Um, Surprise! Hey, come over and talk, and we're gonna record it. (laughs) Uh, So, so it is actually a good segue because a lot of the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing today, you know, the origin story is Sanford, and not just because that's where I was born, but it was a really forming time in my life when it came to volunteerism and outreach mm. um, that was always a huge part of my upbringing both me and my brother you know my mom especially although I'll throw my dad in just to give him some credit too but my mom especially um, and her mom um, were huge on volunteering and so they always had us um, they always had us involved in a lot of different things my, my grandma my nana so my mom's mom actually started um, something called Grace and Grits, which was a a weekly um, dinner for people experiencing homelessness. Is that trademarked? Because I don't think it is. Because that's legit. I mean, it, it may be trademarked by the spirit. Mm. You know. Um, Amen. I don't think that it is, but it started out of her her Episcopal church. She and her her church friends back in 1992. Um, and it's still going um, in a different form and fashion today. Mm. And so that was, that was really uh, uh, some of my fondest memories growing up um, was Wednesday nights um, in the kitchen at Holy Cross Episcopal Church with my grandma um, serving spaghetti. That's, that's what we did a lot. Mm. Um, and there was other things that we did growing up, you know, Meals on Wheels. I mean, my dad's mom, um, she volunteered over 45,000 hours at the Sanford Hospital as Jeez. a pink lady, so the auxiliary crew that they have. Yeah. Um, and so it's always just been a big part of my life. And, and so now um, I'm in the world of, of nonprofit work, social service, um, and I can point directly back to, to that upbringing. 
um, and that influence that especially my mom and my grandparents had on me and my brother as to why I'm doing what I'm doing now. And so for the last six years, um, I've been working nonprofit work. And mm-hmm. so, so the issue um, that, that my career has been centered around so far, not really intended, but I guess God's got this divine plan, is homelessness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I went to school for public relations um, at the University of North Florida, Ospreys, go Ospreys, up in Jacksonville. Uh, in, in did a little bit of work in, in the communication world, public relations, branding, advertising, um, but you know, felt a, a pull uh, to do something different. Uh, and so, yeah, about six years ago, I came back home because I was in Atlanta at that time um, and just said, hey, I don't really want to do that for a career. Um, what else can I do? And, and you know, again, I can make this kind of super Christian uh, God put it on my heart, even though back then I did not know that's kind of what was happening. But God put it on my heart to, man, you've always liked helping people. You've always liked volunteering. You've always liked doing community kind of focused work. Um, what if you tried to, to do that? And so, yeah, I I, uh, I started looking for an opportunity to work a, a nonprofit job and really took the first one I could find um, because <laughs> I sent a lot of of, of applications and resumes around mm-hmm. um and really didn't get any any responses and so uh, the first job that i could find that actually said yeah you can come work for us was at the coalition for the homeless of central florida as a resident assistant um, which in the hierarchy of of employees there um, the resident assistant is the most boots on the ground working directly with clients, not as a case manager, but as just somebody who's making sure kind of they're following the program, so to speak. Mm. Um, and it was, it was minimum wage, although I was, I was blessed to, to have, you know, housing and, and resources to be able to take a, on a minimum wage job. Uh, but minimum wage, um, yeah, working the, the um, 3 to 11, 11 shift. Um, in the, 3 p.m. to 11 yeah. p.m.? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it's funny because, um, uh, my, my boss, Mr. Whitehead, uh, he, he asked me a couple times before I took the job. He's like, are you sure you want to do this? Because mm-hmm. I had a college degree, whatever. Um, I didn't, you, I didn't really fit kind of the, the profile of who had taken that job before. Um, but yeah, I did a hundred percent. Cause again, I was, I was blessed to, to be able to take a job like that and not have the responsibilities to, to have to make more money. Mm. Um, but what's it, the craziest thing you saw? Well, I mean, come on, that's a whole, that's a whole entire podcast. What's something right that you think about a lot? Like, man, I can't believe that happened. Well, I mean, my, my, my life was threatened like the, the second week on the job. Uh, because I was, I was, uh, in charge of the, the, the entry dorm, which was the first step for guys coming into the program. And so they, uh, they slept on little mats all around this room, about 50 guys in, in, in a multi-purpose room effectively. And in the morning when I would work the seven to three, instead of the three to 11, I'd have to wake them up, kind of get them going. <laughs> and so there was, I'd al- threaten your life too. Well, there was always a battle in the morning for bathroom space, whether that was in the sink or in a stall. And so little did I know there's a little game that they would play and they played it on me where a guy came out and accused another one of being asleep in a stall. In reality, he just wanted that stall for himself. 
So I go running in there like, oh, I'm going to go in and like looked over to kind of make sure that he was actually asleep before I bang on the, he wasn't asleep. He was in there properly and mm-hmm. appropriately. Mm-hmm. He came out very quickly after that and, and was very upset with me looking over the stall, mm. which I would have been myself in reality. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, the, the, uh, the other employees that I worked with, little did I know, I didn't, I didn't find this out till later, they had made a bet amongst themselves of how long I would last in that role. Interesting. Yeah, most of them thought a week. Really? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. What was, I mean, what's the, do you, did you, do you know what the normal turnover rate was? It's not necessarily based on the normal turnover rate. It's the fact that they thought I was just some kind of, and I was, in fact, all of this, just some sort of like kind of uh, softy, goofy college kid without much, you know, experience at all working with folks who were kind of in this, this kind of uh, situation, you yeah. know, been on the streets, experiencing homelessness, struggling with mental health issues, substance use issues. Um, and so they just thought for sure, this kid right here, he's going to last a week and he's going to be out of mm. here. Um, because the situation is exactly like I just described. Mm. In fact, my, one of my other bosses sat through the entire interview because there was three guys and, and sat through the entire interview, did not say a thing. These two I was connecting with, connecting with, you know, uh, and, and finally at the end, they looked over to Mr. James and they said, Mr. James, do you have anything to ask Evan? And, and he said, yeah. Um, Evan, what are you going to do when somebody gets up in your face and, and threatens you? Uh, and your response was, I don't do, I was like, well, I, I think I just hemmed and hawed and s- tried to skate my way. Cause I didn't know. Yeah. I had no idea. Um, but yeah, that, that's what he was. He was thinking what the rest of them ended up thinking. Although I, 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 I made it, um, I made it close to a year in that role. Nice. And, and it was looking back, especially now where I'm at in my, in my career working in nonprofit, it was the best best place I could have ever the best introduction there was nothing better yeah um and so now you're you're helping connect uh faith-based organizations to local nonprofits is that correct or yeah I mean that's that's been a part of it so for the last four years I've worked for a startup nonprofit um and, and my job has been primarily in the faith community connecting churches um to equip them um for that person who shows up um, needing help with like a, you know, rent or a light bill. Yeah. Um, and then also, uh, connecting them to other churches and other nonprofits. So, you know, if they don't have the resource to, to pay that light, here's bill, someone that does it well yeah. type thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, I kind of want to, in your experience, the people that you've come in contact with who are homeless, what percentage of them do have mental illness that may be undiagnosed or they know the diagnosis, but there, there's no treatment. Like what percentage are dealing with that? So I can't speak to a, a particular percentage, but I will tell you the majority of people who are on the streets, right. Who we see kind of standing on a corner or something like that. Um, the majority are, are struggling with some, um, some mental health related issue. 
you know, the, the unfortunate thing is we're in a state that has like maybe 49 out of 50, you know, nationwide in terms of um, mental health resources available, especially for people who are in situations like that. What but do you yeah, mean by that? It, it, connection to, to needed treatments, needed services, needed practitioners, um, support. Um, so we're well equipped is what you're saying. If, if, if this is the opposite is true, we're not at all. We're equipped. not well equipped. No. So oh. we are, we are second to last out of the entire Oh, I, saw, I see what yeah. you're saying. I thought you were saying like there's 50 resources available to us and we have 49 of those resources. No, no, no. What you're saying is we are the last, we're second to last in the yeah. 50 states. That, yeah. Okay. I let, I left that portion off. Yes. So we're, we're, we're really far behind. Um, so yeah, you pretty confidently, you can say that, that most of the, the people out there that you see on the streets again, um, are struggling with some sort of mental health issue, whether that issue was the, the reason why they ended up on the streets or it's an issue that is developed because they've been on the streets. Both can be, both can be, um, can be happening, can be true. Hmm. Yeah. What, um, So are, is a lot of the things like self-inflicted, a lot of the, the issues self-inflicted and there, and what I'm getting at is there's this idea that like, if I help this person, all they're going to do is just perpetual drug use or mm -hmm. alcohol or mm -hmm. like ha helping this person. Like what's, it's almost like, what's the point, you know? And I don't want to, I don't want to be uh what's the word enabler, True. you know? So I don't, I don't know. I, I think it, uh, for a lot of people, it's a, it's a sticky situation. It's a conundrum almost. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, what's the proper way sure. to do it? Yeah. I mean, look. Uh, kind of depends on your worldview, maybe? I think, sure, that's, that's definitely true. Uh, most people who are experiencing homelessness, and I'm very intentional when I say experiencing homelessness, because oftentimes, at least historically speaking, we can say homeless people. And it's not like we say I'm a housed person, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And so language matters, at yeah. least in my opinion. I agree. Um, so experiencing homelessness, it, it, usually it's not because they are just, you know, uh, 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 drug addicts. It's not because they're, they've made just a series of bad choices, although they've, they probably have made a series of bad choices. Who hasn't? Most, exactly, <laughs> but, for the, but for the grace of God, right? Most of the time, it is because there's some precipitating circumstance that was outside of their control, be it a job loss, medical issue, family dissolution, something like that was the reason why they, they found themselves starting to cycle into more and more instability that usually results in or can result in um, being on the streets. Mm. It doesn't happen overnight. And again, there's, there's a lot of complexity to each person's story. Yeah. But the idea that, that people are choosing to, sure, to some extent, but what was the, what was the, real, uh, what was the real initial reason? What was the origin? Mm -hmm. It's not because oftentimes they're just drug addicts and bad people. Um, it's mental health. It's, it's, the, it's, it's low wages. It's you know, relationships, it's things like that. Um, and, and, you know, when it comes to should, like the, should I, should I, uh, give that person money if you want to, mm -hmm. I mean, is there a case to be made that that can perpetuate a cycle of instability and experiencing homelessness? Yeah, sure. Is it going to, uh, maybe, um, supply them with resource to be able to buy, you know, drugs, alcohol, 
Yeah, that, that could that could be the case. There's something to be said for the fact that if I was on the streets for a year, five years, ten years, living without the safety and stability of a roof over my head, I would want to I would want to use drugs and get drunk too. I mean, I, I met a guy uh, uh, Albert who lived under the Lee Road um, I four overpass, and he would drink because he was living under the I four <laughs> Lee Road overpass. Yeah, and so maybe it does. It's like a vicious circle. Yeah. I always say, you know, what I'll try and do is just acknowledge somebody. You know, we can so instinctively, like, let's just play this out, right? We're, we're sitting at the, the exit of Princeton, about to, to take a right to head back, back home towards College Park. And, and, you know, somebody's standing there, and we're going to avoid eye contact at, at all possibility. Mm-hmm. I just try and at least acknowledge that person their existence like say hello if you get a chance and it's appropriate and it's safe um you know i'll go so far as if i'm walking into like 7-eleven introducing myself Mm -hmm. because the reality is somebody who's living on the streets is going to be passed by a hundred people in a day and yet they will they will remain fairly invisible Mm -hmm. and that's their reality Mm -hmm. and so if we can acknowledge their humanity um that's a good that's a good approach as appropriately and as safely as we can that's a good approach to take mm-hmm. and then if you want to give them a dollar i mean up to you yeah what do you think the uh our nonprofit the amount of nonprofits that we have mm-hmm. are we proportionately making a difference does that make sense like it does per, like for the amount of nonprofits that are out there is it making a dent? I, I think that it, it makes a dent in so much as there's at least a emergency response system that, that's fairly well equipped. And also it would be a lot worse if not for all these nonprofits. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's incredibly complex. Um, Issues like homelessness, food insecurity, poverty, domestic violence, human trafficking. I mean, they're incredibly complex issues mm-hmm. and, and some more intractable than others. Uh, the nonprofit world is, is, not, uh, is not safe from duplication and, and overabundance and, and not partnering well and people doing things that somebody else could do, should do, has been doing. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I think that, that there is a lot of great work that's done. Yeah. I think that there's dents that, that are made. I mean, our, our community, um, here in central Florida, you know, we, for, for people living on the streets, even though somebody hearing this might say, yeah, that doesn't seem to be the case. We have a really, really awesome system for those who are literally experiencing homelessness on the streets. One of the best in the country. Without it, and it is in fact a collection of nonprofits and local government agencies, um, the issue would be way worse. Um, but we have one of the best, thankfully. Um, so yeah, it's you know it's not an easy question to answer. I appreciate it and I understand it. It's just man, it's all complex. Hmm. If you could wave a magic wand, what would you do? Mm. I mean, if, if there was like one particular area that I would focus on, it, it is fixing disenfranchising systems in distressed neighborhoods, right? 
we have historically in, in Orlando, in, in across the country, um, you know, disenfranchising, systemically disenfranchising systems um, that have not provided uh, 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 like-sized opportunities um, depending on where you grow up. Um, so if you grow up where we're sitting right now in, in this neighborhood, it's a, it's a really different um, it's a really different environment and ecosystem to call home and grow mm -hmm. up in than something a mile away on the other side of, of colonial mm -hmm. and and there's something really wrong with that um, and it comes down to issues of, of education of of um, you know jobs of, of all sorts of things but it's there's broken systems. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Who's to gain? Like, what's the point? Like, why is it, why is it broken? Well, I mean, we have to go back to, to a, a very early history in this country that I'm, I'm no expert in. Yeah. So I have to be very careful to make any claims. Well, in here. your, in your estimation or in your, what little knowledge you think that you have, like, why do you, like, what's your, what's your hypothesis? I think that there was, there was some, some, um, strategic and concerted efforts um, in, in earlier time in this country's history and even our community's history um, where there was a, a um, intentional disenfranchisement of certain groups of people, um, certain sides of towns. Um, and because that was um, really successful in the, in the worst ways possible back then, uh, we are still, and I say we, it's not me, because I've, I've never experienced it myself, but there is still an experience being felt today um, in that disenfranchising systemic brokenness of systems um, that unless we, unless we first, first acknowledge and then lament, um, I keep hearing that word oftentimes mm -hmm. over the last couple of months, lament, mm -hmm. um, and then put an investment and a commitment to understanding both experience and the the broken parts of the system and, and commit ourselves to actually fixing things, healing things. Yeah, you're going to have another generation of kids who grow up without the same opportunity. Mm -hmm. And that's that's troubling. What do you think a great first step would be? And that's what I think I'm trying to get at. Mm -hmm. If you were mayor of the city or whatever you had the power to take that first step, not necessarily to change it, but to just take the first step. Like if you're calling the shots, what do you think a great first step is? Sure. I, I think that, um, what's being done in, in Paramore crosstown, uh, neighborhood right now, um, supported by, uh, Harris Rosen, which is, um, a really awesomely built early childhood education system. Uh, they're piloting it in that neighborhood, um, in a local school, that's something that I would, again, picking one thing and having a magic wand of, of available resources to, to invest in and grow. That's the type of thing that I would, I would start to put a focus on. Hmm. Um, because the reality is there's a, there's a really special window in everybody's life, my life, your life, anybody's, um, between, you know, birth to about five, um, where when we talk about disenfranchised opportunity and broken systems, that's where it's really forming generation after generation. Not Between having, zero and five. Yeah, the ages of, of kind of birth to five. Hmm. Um, that's a really forming time in all of our lives. 
Um, and for a number of reasons, especially the opportunity to have adequate and, and above adequate early childhood edu education um, and, and support in that, you know, uh, that, that period, you just, yeah, you, you get to, and there's measures you can, and again, I can't reference statistically necessarily, but there's measures that, you know, if you're not doing things in, in, in from birth to five by third grade, by fifth grade, by high school, you're just, you're light years behind. Hmm. And, and so that's, you know, that's troubling. Yeah. I remember being in the car with you. We were driving through that area. I think we went to a magic game or something. And I remember driving by and all these new apartments are going up sure. and stuff and you being very frustrated with that. Sure. And I didn't understand it. Yeah. And I guess I kind of get it now, but explain why, why you were frustrated. But in that moment stuck with me. That's why I'm bringing it up. You yeah. know what I mean? Well, and, and so, so I could, I could have very easily said to, to your question about a magic wand, affordable housing, mm -hmm. that that's like the go-to, right? Uh, but to pick something different than what most people will go to. Um, yeah, but affordable housing, like it, it was, it's always super frustrating that you look at uh, a, a, uh, a community like um, Paramore Crosstown. I say, I say Crosstown because, as I've been told, the residents of Paramore actually call the neighborhood Crosstown. They don't call it Paramore. Like Interesting. We call, we call it Paramore. Um, Why is that? It's a good question. Hmm. Uh, uh, Eric Stites, who runs Crosstown Ministry, uh, he, he, he told me, um, because he actually lives in the community. He works in the community. He said, no, it's actually called Crosstown. Um, so I'm relying this on, on Eric. Um, but yeah, you know, you drive through, you drive through, uh, Paramore for sake of, of people being able to recognize what I'm talking about. Uh, and it's a, first of all, was it a historically like thriving in an important neighborhood in, in Orlando um, that uh, has over time um, seemed to be more and more positioned to not be able to succeed in ways that like a neighborhood on the other side of Colonial uh, College Park is able to. Um, and, and, and then over time, year after year after year, more blighted, more blighted, more blighted, uh, more uh, falling behind, more falling behind. You, you have this community of folks um, who have been, you know, fairly well disenfranchised, um, who who don't necessarily get the same opportunities. Um, and, and, and some of the reason behind that is very, um, very intentional, um, very strategic in the worst ways possible. Uh, and, and then it's just, oh, well, na now's the time um, when property values are, are completely at the bottom, uh, when it's a, it's a distressed neighborhood, now's the time to, to, to build new, um, new apartments. Now's the time to build a, a, uh, a new, um, soccer stadium. Uh, it, it just seems like that happens so often that, that, you know, they're, they're not coming to, to, to other neighborhoods to say, yeah, we want to do this massive development. No, they're going to go to a neighborhood like Paramore um, and, and raise some houses, um, you know, buy some, some dilapidated properties 
and we're going to throw this development right in the middle of the neighborhood that's going to change the, the makeup and the identity of that neighborhood forever, you know? And you wonder, at least I wonder, um, how much input do the residents of this neighborhood have in this process? Mm-hmm. You know, they needed affordable housing. They needed new housing for years. And then all of a sudden, because there's a new uh, Amway Center, because there's a new, you know, Orlando City Stadium, which I'm, I'm supportive of because we, we need economic engines like that in our community to be able to do a lot of really, really amazing things. But can we also ask questions about what effect that has on the people who are displaced, Hmm. on the people who have called that community home, who now have their community, you know, pretty irrevocably changed. Hmm. Um, And that's so when we drive through, you know, on the way to a magic game um, and see these, you know, new developments going up, I don't know, man, affordable housing's a huge issue. Um, It takes five years to put together you know, a hundred affordable housing units over on Mercy Drive, but yet around the corner, it takes a year to to have 700 market rate uh, um, units built. Mm-hmm. What do you say to the person who's like, well, they so they can do something about it. They could, they could, they could. You know, I mean, you've got obviously stories out there where people. Uh, quote-unquote, work hard to get out of their situation in order to be able to live in a decent neighborhood or sure. whatever. Like, what's your, what's your response to that? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't dismiss um, or, or overlook personal stories of success, mm-hmm. uh, I, but I do have an eye towards um, a, a broader scale um, uh, issues with success when you're looking at an entire neighborhood of people, hmm. right? Yeah. You know, I, I think that I think that we can often um, pick our spots that both support our ideologies and cases that we're trying to make. Sure. So, so sometimes I'm going to make it anecdotal. Sometimes I'm going to make it about a personal story. Other times I'm going to rely on statistics and research. When it comes to especially uh, distressed neighborhoods of people of color, you have presented to you, you know, because if we're talking about Paramore, that's kind of what we're talking about. You have presented to you both personal stories, anecdotal stories of disenfranchisement. You also have statistics that can back that up. You have the, the, the data that can back that up. But yet, you know, I, I, there's still, a, I guess, a case to be made that a community like Paramore has been underserved, under-resourced, distressed, and disenfranchised. And probably because of the effect of that, there has been generations of people that have been born into that community and they have not been provided and given and, and, and uh, presented the same opportunities that others have. Because look, for, for every story and every person that could say, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps, 100% that's true. And 100% it should be celebrated. For every person like that, there's another let's say 10 people total for every person like that, there's another nine that will say the same thing, but are overlooking the enormous opportunity and privilege that they had in their life to be able to achieve the success. They think everybody should be able to do personally and individually. Hmm. And again, so that's in a system that works. 
I was raised in a system that worked. Yeah. You know, Sanford, go back to where we started this conversation. I was raised in a neighborhood that was a part of a system that worked. Mm-hmm. Let's just not overlook that. Right. And it's not that I'm saying that, that again, like, you know, disqualify everybody who grew up in a, in a tough neighborhood from ever, you know, uh, um, being able to, to kind of chart their own course. And, and determine their their path and, and achieve success, sure. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. There's more complexity to it. Mm-hmm. You, uh, I'm in a group text with you, and and in the group text uh, a few weeks back, you you sent out this message about uh, last day to fill out the census, mm-hmm. and it and it felt very random to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obvious i think the randomness uh is what showed me the importance or the urgency that you had for it sure what's important about the census well i mean uh uh, um methodologically speaking is that the right word i don't know it sounds it sounds good (laughs) um uh the judges will accept thank you thank you um, Nate actually looked over at a couch as though there was a, a, a couch full of judges <laughs> accepting that. There's not. Um, the, so, so the federal government determines funding for critical issues in local communities based on census data. Um, so if we are, are sitting in a community, say like Central Florida, and there's you know, very significant issues when it comes to affordable housing, homelessness, poverty, food insecurity, human trafficking, mm. things like that, um, to, to get support by way of federal government funding, the census is one of the most important things. Um, so yeah, was that a random, no context or, or preface kind of um, um, inclusion in the, in the group text thread? Yeah, sure. Um, but I just don't want to miss the opportunity, whether I get the chance to explain things or not. Um, and I'm trying to do that more and more. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was one of those times where it's just like, man, I just gotta make sure, Yeah. you know, do my part kind of thing. Make sure that it's said just so that you know that it was said. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the federal government. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you think, how, how much do you think like, their hands should be in this or should 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 there be less of it should it be up to the state should it be up to you know local city authorities should should we not even have to worry about that because we have people in neighborhoods that are willing to help other people in neighborhoods like what's what's your opinion on that well i mean it it should be everybody right but at the end of the day i think most things um should start locally. It should start neighborhood by neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I mean, we could talk at length about how important that is, right? Growing up in, in, a, in a good neighborhood, having people around you in the neighborhood who are supporting you, who are caring for you. Um, so yeah, as many things as we can make local, the better. Um, but there's, there's, there's not to be missed the importance of the federal government um, playing some part even from a distance in providing funding that then should be used very strategically and effectively neighborhood by neighborhood. Um, you know, at the end of the day, everything that we're talking about here in, in given the chance, even though I hope you don't ask me to, it can, it can be connected 
to a relationship, right? It's all about relationships. And so whether it's homelessness or poverty or the, the census or a community like Paramore or me or you sitting here, it's all about relationships. And, and so how can we as, as individuals, um, uh, and then individuals also part of a community, um, uh, you know, uh, be part of that effort to have really, really supported and connected relationships with those around us, right? Mm-hmm. That, that's been the difference maker for me. And I know I'm, I'm kind of going super like philosophical, but like it, it's all very complex. We all play our part, but it all comes down to relationships in, in relationships that utilize the resources that should be more and more available to everybody the same way that it is for other people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. What do you say to someone that is like, well, what a, like it's overwhelming. It's too overwhelming. Like I, I, I want to help, but I don't know where to help. I wouldn't know where to start if I wanted to help. Like, what's something someone can do, man? You know, like, what's a step that someone could take to have some sort of positive impact to try and affect any sort of change whatsoever? Yeah. Carve an hour out of your month and find an organization that is doing good work around an issue that you're passionate about and just go mm-hmm. one hour a month and show up mm-hmm. for a year, right? So one hour a month, every month for a year. Um, and just show up and, and offer to do whatever it is that they, they need you to do, whether that's a unique skill that you have to offer, like you know helping them launch an awesome new podcast because you yourself could do that. Um, or, you know, bagging clothes that are donated that then, you know, are, are sold in a thrift store. That's what you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, that we can often overthink things. We also often also have like too many options. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, presence matters, right? Like, like consistency matters. Um, showing up, just keep showing up. That matters. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's... There's organizations, you know, that have especially like young people that are experiencing homelessness, mm-hmm. man, or it's, or it's an after school program with some kids at a local high school. Sometimes there's a lethal lack of, of, of relationship in their life. Um, and you just showing up, uh, you know, an hour a week, even if you can pull that off can change their life, hmm. not doing anything more profound than just being there. Yeah. What's the dream for you? What's your dream, man? Like, what what do you see? What do you see yourself wanting to do, doing? Do you know what that is? Like, what, what's the dream for you? Hmm. You know, I I think I think it really just comes down to. Um, being being more at peace with the with the uh, positions and the situations and the places that God puts me in without too much of a long view on what could be or what should be, but mm-hmm. knowing that if God puts me somewhere, I'm just going to do my best, um, knowing that that at the end of the day, he's already confirmed me. And so my performance is is less important than just kind of living out the purpose that he puts in my life. Um, you know, I, I, for a long time 
it was always kind of a grass is greener. It was always, you know, some sort of destination. Um, but man, it's, this is just a journey, right? Not to be too cliche. Um, and, and if I can just more and more appreciate that, that there's going to be good times on the journey, there's going to be some less good times, some ups and some downs, some mountaintops and some valleys. Um, and just, you know, again, keep, just keep showing up and doing the best that I can with whatever opportunity that I may be able to take on. Yeah, that, mm-hmm. you know, if it's a destination, you'll never get there. Yeah. You know, there, if, if, if for me, it was always, well, once I do this, mm-hmm. once I get here, mm-hmm. then I'll feel on the inside like I so want to feel. And that's just not the case. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to be secure whether you're, you're, you know, um, whether it's abundance or whether it's scarcity. Um, you know, whether the, the trial is, is tough or, or you're really thriving. Um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm super blessed and I don't want to ever miss this. I'm super blessed um, to have been allowed um, to, to have a calling on my life that is, is both intimately personal, um, but yet there's an expression that is professional, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, it does. Um, in, in there's a lot of times that I've missed that cause I've made it about me or I've made it about a destination or I've made it about achieving something. Yeah. That's I, I'm missing the point. If, if that's what I'm doing, hmm. uh, if you weren't doing this, what do you think you'd be doing? Is there, an, is there a, or is that even a question? Yeah. Yeah. No, that is a question. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is a question because some days I don't want to do this anymore. Um, yeah, I would be doing communication work. I'd be doing public relations or advertising or something like that. I mean, I got, I got, I got on that degree path because my mentor back then, she was in public relations. So she introduced it to me and she said, Evan, I did this because I could speak pretty well and I could write pretty well. And I was like, I can do both those things. And then I went and got a degree. So if I wasn't doing this, I would, I would be, you know, doing some sort of communication work. Um, cause those have always been two things, especially the writing portion, um, that I can do pretty well. Mm-hmm. What are the hardest days for you? You mentioned like some days I don't want to, you know, it's, it's difficult. I don't want to do it. What are the, why are those days hard? Is it you getting in your own way or is it things that you see or a combination of both? What makes the days hard for you? Because you could ask an accountant, like, yeah. well, the days are hard when it's a certain time of the year. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or what, whoever it may be. Yeah. I, I've, I've, I've tried to be more mindful of the fact that my, my, my difficulty is just my difficulty. And everybody's got difficulty. And my, my career path is not unique in its difficulty, whereas other people don't have it. Um, Cause you know, like my brother, he's a lawyer up in Jacksonville in, in, you know, he has a law firm and he does, uh, real estate closings and like, he's not in the trenches, you know, helping people experiencing homelessness, but yeah, his job's really difficult too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so difficult days are, I think are, are just, you know, it, 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 there is a being stretched thin effect when you're doing nonprofit work, whether you're working for a small nonprofit like the one I've been working for, um, or in ministry working for a church, there's a lot of different hats to be worn. 
Um, there's also not a lot of um, of uh, sometimes uh, maybe appreciation isn't the right word, but it's just tough work. In in you know, there's other jobs out there that you can do that are, you know pay a lot more, but at the end of the day, that doesn't really matter too much if if you're really I think living on purpose. And and so the tough days are, you know. Uh, just because I'm, I'm still at a stage in my career where I'm learning and I'm growing and I'm trying things and I'm not doing well in some things, I'm doing better than uh, in others, and I'm still just understanding what it means to be a professional. Yeah. Um, I think that's that's m- probably where I'd have to land, you know, in, in actually answering the question. I'm still learning, you know. Um, I've got a long way to go. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. Yeah. What are you? What are you ex- most excited about? With uh, like, there's got to be some things to celebrate, right? Sure. Like, there's got to be some things that you look at and go, "Man, this is a great opportunity, not just for me, but for the work that I'm doing." Like, what what do you? What excites you about the world that you're in right now and yeah. some new developments? I, you know, I've been I've been incredibly blessed to to be a part of some amazing organizations and roles in those organizations that have shaped me in a particular way where opportunities continue to kind of present themselves. Um, I've been able to to become a, a, a professional that if not working for the people that I've worked for and for the organizations that I've worked with, I would I couldn't have been. Um, and so now, you know, I get the chance um, in the not so distant future from from when we're recording this today to actually uh, lead an organization um, in, in, you know, it's a, a small nonprofit. But looking back, you know, six, seven years ago where I was at then and maybe that's a whole nother podcast. But um, if I would be so blessed to get that opportunity. But um, yeah, it blows me away. Um, and it's because of the people God has put in my life to shape me in a particular way and in particular areas that I desperately needed to be shaped. Um, and now will allow me to, to just be part of the mission, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what I'm really excited about is, is being able to continue to be part of the mission. Um, you know, the mission to advance the kingdom and, and, in doing that, especially by by supporting and connecting and being in relationship with with folks who are struggling to get by, um, you know, for a kid who just always really loved helping people, because um, that was my explanation for a lot for a long time and even still of why I got into nonprofit work. I just like to help people. Um, so for 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 someone who as a kid just loved doing that, looking back now, knowing that I get the 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 honor and the privilege to do it and get paid for it and be a professional in it. I mean, wow. Does that ever get, uh, muddy? The pay? You know what I mean? Does it ever get like, this is just my job or, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, you have, you have days where it's, where you're like, man, do I even deserve to be doing this? And sure. Or maybe even the days are like, I should get paid more. Sure. <laughs> like what, what kind of emotions go through in that aspect? Yeah, I think that that's where there is a little bit of uniqueness to, to people who work nonprofit or in ministry, um, that, that there's, there is a blending of personal and professional in a way that maybe other career paths don't, don't have to quite navigate through. 
Um, and so, you know, I, I think that's a benefit, right? Because there are times when you have to tell yourself, especially working in ministry um, or, or doing, you know, the type of nonprofit work that I've been doing, this is a job, mm-hmm. right? Because very easily we can lose the protection that is that perspective that has to be part, like that this is, this is a job. Um, and, and it's not my identity because very easily doing this type of work, you can, you can have your identity defined by the next person you help, you know, by your output on a Sunday, for instance. Um, that can make things tough, but yet it kind of is. You just have to have a balance. You have to have boundaries. You have to, you have to know where you put your foot down. You have to, to, to be able to be really, um, really objective hmm. in, in areas where you might instinctively want to be subjective. Mm-hmm. Um, because, yeah, at the end of the day, like the work that I do is it's that it's a job. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, you know, I think a true test is like, how committed are you to this purpose? If you lost the professional opportunity to live this purpose out, would you still do it? Yeah. That's what I was getting at. Yeah. Would you still do it? And for me, the answer is yes. Yeah. There's times when I was like, maybe I should just (laughs) make it more personal than it, than it has been. Um, But again, it goes back to, man, this is a blessing. Mm -hmm. Um, You just have to over time, put yourself in a position to, to grow in a way where you have the boundaries in place, where you have the perspective in place, where you have the appreciation in place, where you have the, 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 the relationship in place. Cause that's a huge thing. Like you can't go this road alone. You got to have people that you're talking to. And I've been blessed to have both, you know, bosses who I could, who I could be, um, informed by and mentored by, um, and then other professionals and, and other folks who, who, you know, give me a perspective that, that allows me to continue to grow and, and be successful, at least in, in some ways. Mm-hmm. So, um, does the outcome of this election have any effect on this arena, the nonprofit arena or the, the arena of helping disenfranchised communities? Sure. I mean, to some degree it could, but I'm not saying that positively or negatively. Um, you know, if you're looking at it, from there's a, no detriment either way in your opinion. Not that I can, not that I know of, mm-hmm. although, you know, somebody could really, you know, probably quickly point to, you know, administrations where cuts are made to the department of housing and urban development, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the primary, uh, federal government department that funds a lot of programs locally. Yeah, that could be the case. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it, I don't think it's ever anything too substantial, if only because a lot of times there's so much bureaucracy tied up in it um, that, uh, that, yeah, it's hard to move the ship that is the federal government. Now, if you ask me that question about uh, a local... Um, county commission or city mayor Hmm. then things get a little bit more a little bit more real potentially yeah um usually it's a positive you know because you have a a local elected official who has a who has more of a focus on issues than others but yeah Mm -hmm. that that's where you start to see gotcha that's where you start to see it gotcha rubbing shoulders at the banquets right yeah kissing babies (laughs) shaking hands (laughs)
It's the name of the game. Uh, at the time of this recording, we don't know who the next president is, but whoever he would be, if you could say one thing to him about your the dog the dog in this fight, you know what I mean, or have one conversation, what topic would it be around, and how would you try to approach it, you know, because to get the audience of the president you would want to be able to have something to hopefully walk away that would kind of stick in his mind, you know? Sure. What do you think that would be for you? I'm already getting nervous thinking about sitting down with the president. Oh, man. Uh, you know, I, I wish that there was more long-term commitments and investment into distressed neighborhoods, right? We talked about that before. Mm -hmm. um, and it, whether it's the, the world of, of the federal government, um, local nonprofits, uh, foundations who fund a lot of work in communities. Uh, it's, it's oftentimes like it's, it's, a, it's a year view, right? It's two years. The, the type of things that we're talking about need 20 years. Um, and there needs to be systems in place and investment in place that will support transformation of the course of a longer period of time than we're usually able or willing to, to commit to. Um, especially, you know, I think elected officials find themselves in a precarious position because their view is determined by the next time they have to run for re-election, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I mean, that, that makes things tough. Mm -hmm. um, but... You know, can we can we invest in some key areas, especially in distressed neighborhoods, um, that aren't going to be determined uh, as as a, a whether we continue or not based on a year's time? Can we do it based on ten years' time? Hmm. Um, that would be interesting to to have a conversation about. Yeah, it seems like we uh, we forget that it's the long haul, mm -hmm. you know, and it's always the we'd look search for that overnight fix in most aspects of our life. But sure. I feel like in this too, it's like, uh, especially if you're looking from a political sense, like let's look at the past four years mm -hmm. or let's look at the next four years. Mm -hmm. it's, it's in those increments as opposed to long term over time. And I think what you're talking about as far as, uh, the, the most impact is just going to have to come regionally. Sure. It's going to have to come with long-term regional relationships in order to build long-term lasting effect. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, we are all, um, hot and bothered right now by, uh, a, a national election. The reality is let's, let's get super fired up for local elections. Like that's another topic and conversation. That's what matters most. Um, is who you're electing to your city council, who your next county commissioner is going to be. There you go. Reverend Commissioner Nate Capshaw. <laughs> you heard it here first. Um, that's what matters most, right? Like uh, Commissioner Stewart, who's longtime commissioner for the neighborhood we're sitting in right now, he makes a huge difference if we're trying to compare between him and, and the president of the United States. That sounds crazy. But at the end of the day, I think it's true. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's where the focus should be more mm -hmm. uh, because they're the people who make the decisions for you most specifically and closely. Yeah. Um, what do we need to do in order for us to know who that person is or to have like a uh, connection with that person? Because it's not 
it's not widely known who that is, what they do. How, you know what I mean? And is that intentional or not? Like, how do we, how does that, how do we foster that relationship? Because the, I have probably a, um, it's probably safe to say that most of the people in this five mile radius don't know and much less care mm-hmm. who that person is. Sure. And what, I mean, what do we need to do? So, um, uh, 500 yards from where we're sitting right now, um, once a month pre COVID, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't know what they're doing now, but once a month pre COVID would be the college park neighborhood association monthly meeting, right? People got to go to that. People need to go to that because that's where your neighbors are. That's where commissioner Stewart is. Um, There are more opportunities to connect with the folks in your community who are really um, making the decisions that most impact your community than we probably seek out and know about. Mm -hmm. Um, There's there's a multitude of reasons for that, Um, but the the opportunity is there. We just have to take it, right? I always picture those things as just where those meetings where people just sit around and complain about could be the grass not being a certain height or whatever. Well, it's like probably like the parks and recreation, the the meetings that Leslie Nope always convenes <laughs> where they're just yelling the whole time. Yeah, and yeah, that's that can be the case, but that's where you meet people. We talked about earlier relationships, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's where you cultivate relationships with people who, you know, when you have a particular issue that is that is best served by, say, an elected official, you've got that phone number in your back pocket, whether it's the elected official themselves, a staff member. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's, you know, county commission meetings that we can go to. Um, there's 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 um, soil and water committee meetings that surprisingly some really important decisions are made in meetings like that that nobody knows about or pays any attention to Hmm. but again like we've we've got to make the effort to 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 go out and and find those places um, and start to be involved in the process in our neighborhood you know in our hometown Hmm. Um, or else we can complain all we want and everybody has the right to do that. Um, but is it as valid as it really, we think it is? No. Cause hmm. unless you're, you're trying to be part, then you can't, I think really legitimately complain about the parts that you don't like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jen, what are you making? Oven roasted wow. chicken with sage potato and Parmesan cheese. Yeah. It already smells delicious, and I think all you did was turn the the, <laughs> the stove eye on. I don't know how that's even possible. So for any future podcast <laughs> guest, this is the treatment that you're getting. Yeah. This is what you're getting. Podcast and dinner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Dude, thanks so much for doing this. This is fun. Yeah, man. I, uh, you know, I'm hoping that this can be a at least semi-regular thing and that we can have discussions like this, whether it's with you or the local high school football coach or whatever it may be, you know, coach, coach shout out to coach cam. I, I kind of want to get seat. him on here. Yeah. Get him in the hot seat. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, we'll see where it goes, but I think this is a, a great first start and our first episode and a, a good start for us. And 
kind of getting the feel of what this could be. Well, I'm honored to, to get the opportunity to sit down with you and have this type of discussion. Because, um, yeah, it's just, you know, it, it's two friends um, just talking about life. Right? I heard the other day, uh, uh, I was listening to a podcast, How I Made This, and they were interviewing the CEO of the Dallas Mavericks. And she was saying that when she got in the job, she sat down with everybody in the organization. And the first thing she asked and says is, tell me your life story. Literally, mm-hmm. that's what she asks every time. Mm-hmm. Tell me your life story. Mm-hmm. Because that's the way to connect personally, right? That's, no stories, yeah. That's what we need to do. Know the story. You know? Yeah. It's important, man. And I think, you know, obviously the name of the podcast kind of sums it up. I, you know, discussion theory, I th- the, the theory behind it is that discussion has lost its spot in our society mm-hmm. and if we can regain it i think we can see way more move way exponential growth yeah. <laughs> in who we are as people yeah because right now what we're doing is commenting we're not talking yeah or what you know what we're doing is liking or unliking and mm-hmm. we're not actually asking questions and trying to get trying to get to know the person you yeah. know what i mean so um yeah man this was, this was great. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yes, sir.